0: As I think most of you know, we plan to ordain Andrew today and so I would like to share some thoughts on being an elder and how to help them, how to help the elders. This will not be a full-blown examination of the subject of eldership. Uh, Charles has actually given a number of messages along that line through the years, and uh, you can look them up on the internet, there there would be much more of a thorough treatment of the subject than what I'll give here this morning. My purpose really is just to give some general thoughts uh, from 1 Peter, so you could be turning to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is a section where Peter exhorts his fellow elders concerning the work of God that they've been called to. And after I look at this section a little bit, then I also want to present a few ways that you and I, we all can help the elders as they seek to shepherd the flock. So, let's just begin here by reading in 1st Peter Chapter 5. <clears throat> Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain. But with eagerness, nor, let it, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Though Peter was a prominent apostle, he doesn't use that title here, as as he's approaching the subject of talking to these elders. He calls himself a fellow elder. Basically, he was exhorting the elders by way of a series of contrasts. He begins by showing the basic duties and privileges of an elder, and just shows that it, it is a privilege. It's a great honor uh, and an uh, awesome responsibility to shepherd the flock of God. Uh, you know, if you think of an a- actual shepherd of, of sheep, uh, I mean, the basic task, there's many things they do, but they're all, it's all revolving around caring for the sheep. So when you think of a, a pastor, an elder, He's a shepherd, and he's been called to care for the sheep. He was to exercise oversight. That's the word used here in verse 2, exercising oversight. In other words, oversight, you watch over. You watch over the sheep. Well, that's what a pastor is called to do. But he has to be careful how he does that, not to do it with with wrong motives or in a wrong manner. So that's what Peter is uh, talking to these elders about. <clears throat> John Calvin, in his uh, commentary on this section, he said that there are three vices that are often found among pastors: sloth, desire for gain, and lust for power. Sad commentary on on the state of uh, the way some people approach this thing of being a pastor. Sloth, desire for gain, and lust for power. And Peter gives these three examples of sins to be avoided and then proper attitudes to be embraced in this section we're looking at here today. So, first of all, a pastor must not be lazy. He is not to do his work as under compulsion, as some unpleasant duty that he would rather not do and would avoid if he could. <clears throat> now there is a rightful place for a sense of unworthiness and a sense of inadequacy in this position but that's not what Peter's talking about here he's speaking of drawing back due to a lack of desire where you only do what you have to do or are forced to do by necessity he said that's not the attitude of a true pastor rather a true shepherd should be willing to should have a willing desire to care for and watch over the sheep that are under his charge. In other words, he is not grudgingly fulfilling an obligation but willingly choosing the work that he feels God has called him to. Choosing to do the work that he feels God has called him to do. Though it's not always easy, he takes the bad along with the good and perseveres in watching over the flock so uh, not, a, not a lazy person <clears throat> not done un, under compulsion and then the next thing that Peter brings out he's not doing this for sordid gain not for sordid gain this does not mean that they the pastors the elders should not be compensated for their work and we'll look at that a little bit later but it does mean that the elders should not be in this position mainly for monetary gain it's not just another job where you go to work because you want to make some money got to buy the beans <clears throat> in fact if greed and selfishness or any kind of a motive you're disqualified uh, for that position I mean it, it should be obvious that, that cannot be what draws a person to that calling simply to make money If if that's you know if that's how you're looking at it as a job it'd be better to look for another job because that's not the way God would have his pastors to function, uh, there should be a eagerness to do the work, a readiness to serve, a desire for the common good of the congregation, and the glory of God. Now, I have to say, just as a personal testimony, uh, sometimes I do think about the fact. I mean, this may seem like a low motive. But there's times when I just don't feel like doing what I'm supposed to do as a pastor or uh, just kind of want to draw back, and the thought crosses my mind. Now, there's people out there in the congregation, people that God's put me over, that go to work every day. They don't feel like it some days, but they go to work during the living, and they're giving some of that money to support me so I better get with it. Now Like I say, that's a low motive, but it's, sometimes God uses even low motives to get, get his people moving. So anyway, uh, not, not doing it for sordid gain. And then the last area of character that Peter brings out is not lording it over the flock. Some people, some men, for them, position and power is actually more important than money. It's not that they're doing it for money, but they like the position. They like to be in that uh, place of of power or, or, uh, yes, power. They love authority. They love to be in authority to have the last word, to be domineering. But a pastor should not be like that. pastor is to be an overseer, not an overlord. They must remember that it's God's flock, not theirs. See that in uh, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. It's his flock, it's not your flock. It's just the stewardship that you have. So, one definition of lording it over the flock, and I thought this was pretty good, is taking the place which the Lord alone rightly occupies as ruler over his people. That's lording over the flock, taking the place that that the Lord himself should have over the people as the rightful ruler of the people. Uh, He's the head of the church. You're not as an elder. The elders of a local church have been allotted a small part of God's flock to watch over, but it must be done in God's way, not the world's way. God's way is not coercion or harsh dictatorial treatment or any kind of manipulation through guilt or fear. Rather, his way is loving leadership in accordance with how the chief shepherd himself takes care of his people. I mean, he's our example, right? We look at the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. That's our our example of how shepherding should be done. Christ came to serve and not to be served. He leads his flock. He does not drive them. This is how Peter says that elders should exercise oversight. They should prove to be examples of the flock. You see that in uh, verse 3. Not, not lording it over them, uh, those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. They should be setting the example of how to live the Christian life. That's an elder. You should be able to look to an elder as an example of how to live the Christian life. Uh, you know, it's not just the elders teaching, as important as that is, but also their lifestyle that sets the tone of the church. I mean, that will set the the, the atmosphere, the, the lifestyle of the pastor. I mean, as important as teaching is, that lifestyle is just as important. Uh, this is what Paul told Timothy in another context. He said... Um, that no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. In other words, he's pointing to that lifestyle there. Let your lifestyle be an example to those that are uh, under your care. Of course, elders like everyone else are imperfect in All those areas I mentioned, love and faith and purity were were imperfect in those areas, but we nevertheless should be good examples of consistent Christian character. Um, That's part of what it means to be an elder. You're mature, and maturity has to do with what? Maturity has to do with consistent Christian character. Conduct so in the church leaders lead primarily by example not by asserting the power of their position that's more of the way the way the world views leadership but in the church leaders lead primarily by example this is what this is what jesus taught his disciples let me just read this to you in in mark chapter 10 he said uh, And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, in the world, this is the way that leadership works. Those who are recognized as rulers lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to, be, and to give his life a ransom for many. <clears throat> Tremendous uh, contrast between the w- way that the world views leadership. Uh, so much leadership in the world has to do with this thing of position and power and prominence. But the true shepherd is a servant of God's people and looks beyond any rewards in this life, which is what most leadership is about in the world. What can I get? You know, what can I gain? What, can I, what prominence? What monetary gain? But the true shepherd looks beyond that to the reward in heaven. You see that in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Tremendous promise there for those in positions of leadership. The unfading crown of glory. Of course, all Christians receive an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven. But it seems, just from this section here, it seems that Christ has a special honor for those individuals who have fulfilled this office in a manner that's pleasing to him this office of being an elder in fact we're told in Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever quite a thought uh, for those in leadership God I think has a special honor for those who do this in a manner that's pleasing to him. So those are just a few thoughts (coughs) related to the eldership. But what I'd like to do now is present some ways to help the elders. (coughs) Ways to help the elders. So I've actually listed ten here. I'm sure there are more than that. The first one, I don't really have these in order of importance, but I think probably the first and the last one, number one and number ten, will probably be the most important. But just this first one covers so much ground, and that that is just walk in the truth. If you want to help your elder, walk in the truth. And the the reason I say that is because John says this as an elder he says the elder to be to the beloved Gaius, and this is in third John little little uh, letter of Third John, so this is an elder speaking to probably one of his one of the people he discipled. He says this: "I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth, that is how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this." Than, than to hear that my children w- are walking in the truth. No greater joy. If you want to bring joy to the elder or the elders, just do this walk in the truth. Have a hunger for God's Word. Study God's Word yourself and be attentive to what's taught in the meetings. If you have questions about what's being presented, ask the pastor that spoke. <coughs> Honest feedback from those with teachable spirits is very appreciated. I can uh, say that from experience. If if you have something you want to know more about about something that's said, that the the pastor the elder is glad to try to uh, uh, work with you on those things and, and uh, consider what you have to say and what you're thinking about what was said. Most of all, seek to put into practice what you see and hear from God's word. If you just do that, you will delight the elder. You, you'll be helping him greatly. Uh, if your pastor sees you becoming more Christ-like, they will be greatly encouraged. Uh, like uh, John said, no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. So, in other words, those that he had discipled. So that's the first thing walk in the truth. Second, and it's kind of along the same line, it's a very simple exhortation come to the meetings. That shouldn't be a big revelation, but, you know, it is disheartening when people don't come to the meetings. Come to the meetings. And certainly there are times when it's right for you not to be there. But the attitude should be, I want to be regular and punctual in attendance. I want to be there when God's people are meeting together. So, come to the meetings. Third, thank your pastors for the work they put into the ministry. There are certainly times that the oversight of the flock can be difficult and Discouraging. I can say that from experience. So, a little word of encouragement every once in a while uh, is appreciated. Uh, it can be helpful. Uh, I can say this that there's been people that have just put out a little quick email to me after a meeting or after a message, and it's been in, very encouraging to me. Uh, so, you know, letting the pastor know that you're thankful for the work they do and you know especially for some specific word or action that was meaningful to you i mean i'm not trying to we're not talking about flattery here i'm talking about something that you know you were helped by a lot of times we're unaware of that uh and if uh, you let us know it, it does it does help uh to know that god has used something that we've said or something that we've done in your life um, even I'm putting this in for myself even if the sermon was mediocre <laughs> uh, you might be able to kind of lift up a uh, disappointed spirit sometimes after I'm done speaking hope it's not this way today. <laughs> I would like to go crawl in a hole. You know, you're trying to present God's word. And if you think about what you're trying to do, you think, who can do this? You're so far below what you know you want to be able to express and you feel. And you can't do it. And sometimes they're worse than others. So... Even, even sometime when I did kind of crawl in that hole, somebody sent me an email or something. I, amazing. This is amazing. Somebody got something out of that message. <laughs> so I'm just, it's just a little word of encouragement now and then is something that will help you, your pastors and elders. Uh, you know, we live in a day and age when you can turn on the radio or get on the internet and hear better sermons than I can possibly give by more gifted people than I have any gifts for. I mean, it's just, that's just the reality. But here's another reality. A less gifted man who knows and loves you can be more helpful in your life and a more gifted man who's far away and uninvolved in your life. Yeah. And the pastor, if they're one that God has called to that position, cares about you and that will be involved in your life, even if he's not as gifted as the guy you can hear on the radio. So it's kind of good to remember that. Well, number four. Here's one that goes against the spirit of our age. Obey those that God has put in authority over you and submit to their leadership. Let's turn to this one. I need a little reinforcement when I say this. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13. Very clear scripture. Shouldn't be hard to understand this one. Talk about how to encourage your pastors. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now that's just what the Bible says. Yeah. Obey and submit. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Part of what it means to be part of a local church is that you recognize the God-given authority of those in leadership. If you if you don't recognize that, if you don't feel like that is something that you, you, you want to submit to, uh, maybe there's a different place to be because that's part of what it means to be part of a local body you obey those in authority and submit to their leadership. Now, this is not a recommendation of blind obedience to authoritarian rule. That's what cults have, blind obedience to some authoritarian person. The fact is we are all responsible to search the scriptures daily to see if what we're being taught is true from God's word. But, unless something is obviously against sound doctrine, or is sinful, trust that God is leading his people through those he has raised up as elders. That should be your attitude. That's something obviously unscriptural, or sinful, just trust that God's going to lead this this congregation that you're part of, this group of people that you're part of, through those he has raised up as elders. I mean, this, to put it back on the elder, this is a tremendous responsibility. That scripture we just read in Hebrews, you watch over their souls. You watch over their souls. They're they're watching over your souls. Think about that, to have somebody to watch over your souls. That's something to be thankful about, isn't it? If that's really what the elders are doing. Well, receive the word and the counsel that they give in a humble and teachable manner. If you do that it'll help the pastors to exercise their office as it says there in Hebrews with joy and not with grief. I mean if you're always bucking against what's being presented, that doesn't help the elder very much the elders they want to be able to if you want them to be able to uh, work in that position with joy and not with grief. Just submit to those things that they share that you can see are true from the scriptures and right. Um, well, this kind of goes along with the next one, number five: put on humility, be clothed with humility. Actually, if you if you're back in First Peter now. Right after the the uh, section, well, right, the last thing that we read in this section in First Peter chapter 5, it says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. So there's this putting on of humility, clothing, you know. You get up in the morning, you put your clothes on. Well, the Christian gets up in the morning and clothes himself with humility by the grace of God. And the Spirit, if we put our hands in the and if, if we put our lives in God's hands, we clothe ourselves with humility. So there's just this humility. A humble church is a church that God will bless. If you want to be part of a church that God will bless, which is something that will bless the pastors, put on Humility. <clears throat> Well, he said, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. If there's going to be grace for this church, there needs to be humility. So, put on humility. And then, number six, give the leadership the benefit of the doubt on decisions that are made which you may not understand. Benefit of the doubt in things you may not understand. Often there are personal and private things that the elders are aware of which can't be shared with the church in general but are part of decisions that are made I mean you just have to trust you know give, give them the benefit of the doubt uh, because they can't explain everything in terms of why they do what they do thats uh, I'll tell you a big example of that has to do with church discipline uh, there's things that go on that the elders are aware of and they just cannot share all of that with you Uh, so you have to trust so uh, what I'm saying is it's very helpful for the pastors to know that you trust that they are following as best they can the leading of the Lord in areas where they can't explain everything to you wouldn't be right to give the leadership the benefit of the doubt the next would be Don't gossip. Don't gossip. As one person put it, don't be the wind on the flame of gossip, be the water. Another way, especially in terms of the pastors, talk to, not about your pastors. Talk to them about things you're wondering about, not about them to other people the next thing I would say is to seek to serve the church in ways that you can just as this pastor is seeking to serve you as God enables them you should be seeking to serve the church one thing this means is is that you engage in the life of the church in ways that God has gifted you Pastors certainly are to exercise servant leadership, but all of us are to serve one another. So offer to help when you see a need. Volunteer. Be ready to serve when and where you can. This is an exhortation to everyone here that's a Christian. Don't neglect the gifts that God has given you. Every member is important to the body if you want it if you want to encourage and help your pastor use the gifts that God has given you in the in the uh work of the church i mean it really makes the job of the elder easier uh if you if you're dependable and willing to exercise the things that God has given you so I mean, one way of looking at it, it'll free up the pastor to have more time to study and prepare to preach uh, as you exercise the gifts that God has given you. So, uh, don't neglect the gifts that God has given you. The next area, don't compare elder with elder. They have different gifts which God has brought them together to use in the pastorate to build up the body this is really one of the strengths of the plurality of elders which I believe the Bible teaches uh, they brought God brings differing uh, gifts differing uh, ministries together in the pastorate uh, so that it will be more, more well rounded and balanced uh, the provides checks and balances within the leadership because of differing gifts and differing insights. It's really, it's good to remember that uh, one elder's gifts may be helpful to you or more helpful to you while another's elder may be be able to minister better to somebody else. And so don't do this comparison stuff. It's unfruitful. Uh, I really think some of some of that was what was going on there in Corinth. It was a problem. You know, I'm of Paul, so I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul. Uh, and they were making those comparisons. Paul says, don't do that. Yeah. They're all given to you from God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so be careful about this comparison thing. An elder should not feel pressure to minister in the same way as some other elder. And I would say this also, This principle also applies to the elders' wives. They, too, have differing gifts and differing res- responsibilities. It's good to remember that. So also along this line, just in thinking of Andrew coming on here, it's important that a new elder, when a new elder comes on board, that we don't make make a bunch of comparisons there also. Uh, a new elder may not do things the same way as a past elder but realize God may be doing something different in the church God brought this new one on to do some new things and don't be always looking back and saying well so and so did it that way I've seen that to be very harmful in other churches Uh, making those types of comparisons between the old leadership and the new leadership well appreciate that new elder for the unique gifts that god has given him and resist the temptation to make comparisons i kind of lost track of my numbering here but i think maybe this is nine Uh, uh, desire to see that the pastors are adequately provided for in terms of physical needs you know, this is a little bit difficult for a pastor to speak on when you're talking about ministering to his physical needs, financial needs. So I'm just going to read the scriptures on this and let them speak uh, instead of me telling you that you need to support your pastors. Let me just read the verses here. If we, he's talking about the leadership of the Church here, Paul says, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? The Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians 9. And then Galatians 6 6 let no one who is taught, let no one who is taught the word. Now, this must be... I'm going to look it up. I had it written down, but obviously I didn't type it right. Galatians six six says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So the one who is taught Share all good things with the one who teaches. And then 1 Timothy five seventeen, Let the elders who rule well be considered of, worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So those are just some of the verses related to this area of desiring to see the pastors taken their physical needs taken care of <clears throat> lastly and i said that, that i thought maybe the first and last ones were the most important <clears throat> we need your prayers I would say it's stronger than that. We desperately need your prayers. You know, pastors have struggles too, apart from the fact that they're trying to deal with the struggles of other people. They have their own personal struggles that uh, they would certainly appreciate your prayers for. I mean, we're we're all in a spiritual battle. There's no question about that. But those in positions of authority are often particular targets. And it's good to remember that. So pray for the pastor and their families. Pray for their times of counseling. Pray for their personal lives. Pray for their preaching. Uh, so many things that you could be praying for in relationship to the pastors. Even though, Here's just an example. Okay, you're on, on the way to church on Sunday morning pray for the pastors, that they know how to handle the meeting. It's just not something that happens automatically. They need the grace of God to be able to even to to conduct a meeting in a way that brings glory to God. I'll close with this quote here from J.C. Ryle. Uh, uh, He's speaking about praying for those in leadership. He says, their work is heavy, their responsibility is enormous, their strength is small. I can testify to that part for sure. <laughs> their strength is small. So let us, let us see that we support them and hold up their hands in our prayers. Hold up their hands. In other words, lift them up in prayer. You know, I read that scripture in Hebrews there about obeying those in leadership and submitting to them. Well, right after that, the writer of Hebrews says, pray for us. It just shows he's not talking about any kind of a dictatorial leadership. He's talking about people who know they desperately need God's help. And they need the people that they're trying to shepherd to actually pray for them so they can do the job. way it should be done in a way that brings glory to god and actually helps helps his people so pray for us pray for us well those are just some thoughts related to the eldership and ways we can help the elders so may god use this for his glory and in all all of our good